Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and a hearty welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And our program this week is a little different. Before I introduce our guest for this week, I'd like to present the first five of what I consider to be my Ten Commandments of Midlife Renewal. And I trust this title doesn't appear sacrilegious. (laughs) By no means do I mean to imply that uh, these ten practical do's and don'ts compare to the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on the Mount of Olives. I think that was where it was. (laughs) They are merely suggestions that taken together will help you to get in the groove performing at your best while enjoying the heck out of today, next week, and the months and years to come. So here we go. Commandment number one, I will not renew alone in isolation. Although your primary renewal commitment obviously is to yourself, it is far more effective to renew as part of a team. Similar to any team sport, two or more individuals pulling together almost always can accomplish far more than a simple sum of their individual talents. And here's why. Led by a motivational coach, teammates put their heads together on strategy and objectives, positively positively critiquing one another and challenging each other to maximum performance. Your teammates will ensure that you keep at it. Remember, football games are won over four quarters, baseball games over nine innings and the season is 162 games. Similarly, genuine midlife renewal requires sustained effort, not a single burst of energy that soon wears off. As a member of a team, you won't give up after the first roadblock or opponent's touchdown. Members of successful teams hone skills through repetitive practice drills and friendly internal competition, That's why your renewal team should meet together at least twice a month. And sports teams receive recognition only by convincing fans they can win the big game. Similarly, you will gain respect from your fans only after you demonstrate consistently changed positive behavior. Most likely, your renewal of spirit and emotions will require sustained effort a little at a time, and it will certainly help to have teammates around you moving forward towards the same objective of a renewed life. So where should you locate and form your team? How do you find uh, team members? Well, an obvious first choice would be right in your own household, your spouse or significant other, maybe your adult children or even teenagers. Another possibility, a brother, sister, or longtime best friend secondary choice might be the suggestion of your pastor, priest, rabbi, or of a professional guidance counselor who knows of other individuals in your community who are also seeking the pathway 
to a happier tomorrow. Or perhaps you might post an invitation online or be able to locate an existing midlife renewal group either in your community or online. For a coach, how about a recognized professional guidance counselor or an inspirational volunteer who has renewed his or her own life and expresses the desire to help others like you? And note, your coach doesn't have to be live and in person. Your team might unite around the reading and discussing a chapter or two each week from an inspirational book. May I suggest my own midlife challenge, Wake Up, by Roy C. Richards. And here's commandment number two. I will affirm my faith in a power higher than myself. You may refer to that power as God or universal intelligence, but if you are a believer in a loving presence active in human affairs, a spiritual presence, I urge you to affirm your faith and pray for divine intervention. You will not likely accomplish positive long-term life transformation while remaining alienated from God, the flow of the universe, and from your fellow human beings. If you believe in God, never forget that you are loved. Neither God nor your fellow humans benefit in the least from you being miserable and unfulfilled or sleepwalking through life, so why don't you pray for help? Once you ask God for a better life, Meditate on it and open yourself up to awareness of life's infinite possibilities. For goodness sake, listen and wait for God to give you an answer. It could come in a variety of ways. And one more thing, if you're a person of faith, enter every prayer session with extreme positive expectations. All the world's major religions promise an uplifted spirit and vision for anyone able to reconcile with and follow uh, the advice of the divine intelligence. Remember what Jesus said, if you have the faith to move a mountain, that mountain will be moved. So let God help move your mountain, the mountains in your life and give that renewal that you so uh, long for. And here's commandment number three, I will reaffirm belief in myself. Every one of us is a cherished member of the human community, a highly unique member of the human community, and you will not progress far in renewal without first acknowledging your worth as an individual and affirming your unlimited potential to conquer new horizons. Pause for a moment. Take a deep breath and say aloud the following pledge of self-affirmation. In return for giving of myself and service to others and relying on God and a higher power to assist me, I will receive affirmations and blessings from God and recognition and reward from others in service to me. From this day forward, I urge you to adopt this as a life-defining credo. Repeat it over and over until you come to accept it without hesitation as your own. Recall once again the full meaning of Jesus' teaching in Matthew uh, chapter 22, verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget the as yourself. Without love of self, you surely will falter in love and service to others. There is no point in asking to renew, uh, seeking to renew life without accompanying affirmation of your worth as an individual. 
and once firmly implanted, affirmation of self will help drive fear of failure from your mind. As you recognize and openly acknowledge your value as a person, you will gain the confidence needed to control your personal destiny. The more you honor self, the less dependent you will be upon the always uncertain positive reinforcement you may or may not receive from others. As a favorable corollary, you will dispatch once and for all uh, your fear of rejection and will condition self to experiment boldly. Ironically, the more you genuinely respect and honor self, the more effectively you will demonstrate uncompromising love and service and understanding to others. After you have affirmed self-worth, please pause for a moment to reflect anew upon the boundless opportunities open to you. Begin this very day to dedicate sufficient time and energy to those causes and avocations which you truly admire and you know you're good at and you enjoy doing. There is absolutely no reason why you cannot relish your daily experience, including your career, as you move forward in service to self and others. And here's commandment number four. I will renew as a two-step process, repeating it over and over again. This commandment reminds us that sustainable renewal of mind and spirit must occur as a perpetual two-step process. First, I must seek inner peace and positive emotional balance, affirming my life today and the definition direction I am headed. Second, I must establish and maintain favorable interpersonal relationships with loved ones, friends, work associates, and anyone else I may encounter along the way. Commandment number four reminds us that no one can cultivate and sustain a positive life outlook in a vacuum. Purposeful individual renewal efforts must be reinforced through a steady diet of favorable personal interactions. Positive balance in interpersonal relationships require that we understand and respect another's point of view at all times, seeking to prompt a friendly, receptive dialogue. In other words, you listen to the other person as he or she listens to you, and don't assume going into the argument or the discussion that you have the answer and no one else does. Few of us will ever live up to the acclaimed Will Rogers motto, I never met a man, and hopefully also a woman, that I didn't like, but we can condition ourselves to treat friends and strangers alike with the kindness and dignity that any fellow human being deserves. You and I can initiate positive exchanges in our everyday casual encounters. It does not cost a thing to be pleasant. To the contrary, it costs both of you and another party significant emotional capital whenever you are thoughtless or rude or that person is thoughtless and rude in exchange. No one, no one of us will accomplish true and lasting renewal until we are able to live in perpetual harmony with those around us. And finally, here's commandment number five. I will think outside the lines. Boy, that's an essential one, isn't it? This commandment is a reminder to abandon your comfort zone and condition your mind to think outside the lines. By no means should you limit considerations for the future to tried and true success formulas which worked for you in the past 
and even more unlikely to uh, procedures that aren't working that well today. <laughs> in revitalizing life at midstream, you are seeking to uncover and lock in an entirely different positive stream of consciousness. A, a sound starting point to midlife renewal is reaffirmation of known talents, capabilities, and life preferences. A necessary follow-up is search for creative new outlets to apply those talents and desires. Along the way, you may discover additional skills, aptitudes, and preferences, along with possibilities you never before imagined. I can guarantee that you have hidden capabilities that you have not yet begun to explore. You may uncover more, one or more of these hidden talents along with your passport to a brighter tomorrow as soon as you condition yourself to routinely experiment outside the lines. Well, there you have it, the first five of my ten commandments for midlife renewal. I'd like to give you all ten, but we're running out of time. We've got to reserve time for my esteemed guest who is coming up, and I'll present commandments six through ten on a future program. And all of these commandments are presented in greater detail in my book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, by Roy C. Richards. You'll find uh, those <clears throat> along with a comprehensive roadmap uh, to get from where you are today to the future destination that you yourself determine. And uh, my book is available both in print form and in ebook form, and you'll find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or through our website, middleagerenewal.com. Well, let's move on to a subject that's not particularly pleasant, but one that so many of us will have to deal with either now or at some point during middle age, and I'm talking about the difficult challenge of determining what to do with the possessions of a loved one who has passed on. And for most of us, that will be death of an elderly parent, mom or dad. But sadly for some, it could be death of a spouse, or even like my wife, Lori, and me, the death of a son or daughter. And furthermore, as we age in our 50s and 60s, we need to begin thinking about how we'd like to distribute our own prized possessions when we pass on. And my next guest, Rachel Cadanas, has just released a brand new book on that subject, titled Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time, What to Do with Your and a Loved One's Personal Possessions. And Rachel is an ideal person to author such a book because years ago she suddenly lost her first husband, Rod, without warning when she was only 31 with a two-year-old daughter. And in her book, Rachel uh, builds upon her personal experience plus subsequent experience, uh, her own and that of clients, to guide all of us who must grapple with the distribution of assets. And here's Rachel Kadanis' bio. Over the past 17 years, she's spoken passionately to national audiences of all ages, addressing all aspects of change, growth, and acceptance of every challenge, including grief from loss of a loved one. She's author of the previous bestseller, Living with Loss One Day at a Time. And hello, Rachel Kananas, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. 
Well, to provide background, tell us about the telephone call you received at work when you were happily married at age 31 with a precious two-year-old daughter, a call that instantly changed your life forever. And that it did. Uh, We both worked for the same company, and that was before cell phones, so we actually got the call um, when the call came in, I, to be honest, I wrote it off as they had the wrong person because I couldn't imagine that my 32-year-old um, husband would, pa- you know, pass away unexpectedly. Yeah. But it was arrhythmia. He had a medical condition, not a, it wasn't anything that they would have able, been able to detect. He just yeah. had arrhythmia, missed yeah. a heartbeat, and didn't recover. And it was a pretty sad day in my world. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that, uh, well, uh, you mentioned that you suffered uh from the sorrow and grief of your husband's sudden passing. And during that time, how did his his possessions and your own take on a new meaning? And what was that meaning? I know you mentioned it in the first chapter of your book. And I do introduce it in the first chapter of the book for that reason. It's because I didn't really understand what a possession was until he died. Everything that was around our house, was a thing. I call them stuff and things, was just belongings. And then when he died, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know why he kept things. I wanted to know what what just everything had meaning. When did he buy it? What did he buy it for? What was the story? And going to his office and emptying the desk, I just wanted to know what everything was. And what I learned, although I didn't clean it out so as fast as other people because I didn't have to move and I didn't need the space, so I was fortunate with that, is that I was able to take my time and sort and thin and clean out and reminisce. And I didn't think of it as, as really as an awful thing. I thought of it more as I felt so connected to him. Uh, well, that's interesting. Given each, that each item of Rod's possession had now taken on a new meaning, what were the decisions you were forced to make? I know there were like three choices you mentioned in your book of uh, what to do with the possessions. Well, I do, like whether you keep them for yourself or whether you give them to somebody else. And, of course, then there's always the donation, the selling, and that type of stuff. But my biggest thing that I would share with your listeners is, one, don't do it too fast and share the items. Share because they all have it. The whole thing that I try to talk about in the book, my whole meaning that I try to say is that if we – keep the connection to our loved one, even though they're physically not with us, we can still be around them and think of them and be part of them. No similar to a photograph. So yeah. I try to just, you know, help my clients to keep the items that tell the story. I know you mentioned saving some of the items for your daughter as she grew older and get to know her father better. That, And also what you could, uh, should give to your husband's parents who also, of course, missed him. So when I was sorting through, and I I gave some things away right away, the the items that I knew had the purpose with the right person. Yeah. However, when you get to the next layer, or in some cases, some people that have suffered a loss really don't want to give anything away yet. They want to remain connected to to the items, et cetera. But what I did do is I sorted through and... I kept things that would help my daughter know her dad more. I'm not sure if I chose the right things, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, she'll never know if I chose the right thing. No, that's true. Right. So you choose what you think is right, and you just stick to that. Yeah, well, making decisions about distributing possessions doesn't occur exclusively as a time of death. 
of our own death or a loved one's, what are some other possible life points where we might want to thin, repurpose, or redistribute either our own or a loved one's possessions? You mentioned a couple of those points. Right-sizing and downsizing. Yeah. And I use those words, I use those words carefully because um, when I, and I present a lot, so I really like to use those words because for some of us, we say we're going to downsize, but what happens is we, we really upsize fi- financially because everybody knows that the housing market is out of control. So yeah. if you want to move closer in or you want to move to a property that you can walk places or even if you're moving into an assisted living, those are very expensive or independent assisted living. Yeah. Those are expensive endeavors. So that's why I call it right-sizing because yeah. it may not be always downsizing. No, but either way... Whatever you choose to do, there's a point where you have to go from all the belongings you've collected over your years and sort through them and choose what to keep and what not to keep. And I stress this over and over again is that it's not great to leave this for children or family members to do because the true story of the item comes out while the person is still alive. Yeah, that's for sure. And it would especially be important if you're a, a parent, elderly parent is moving into an assisted living facility or any kind of a senior living facility where they didn't have the room they had before and they have years of possessions. <laughs> and you'd better uh, ask them to tell you what they want to keep and uh, go over that carefully so you don't offend them by throwing out some prized possession. Well, right, and as the middle... Oh, go ahead. No, I didn't mean to. As middle ages, you are torn with what to save for the grandchildren and what to what and how to sort through your parents. I mean, those ages in the middle are difficult. You know, they're difficult, but I also feel that they could be very rewarding because you get to hear the story of what's behind the items. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, especially when death of a loved one is sudden and unexpected, circumstances surrounding you, the survivor, or anything but peaceful. In addition to your grief, everything seems to come at you all at once. And Chapter 2 in your book is titled Finding Peace. Any suggestions on how a reader who is a survivor can find peace in the midst of all these tragic, traumatic circumstances and all the pressure that's created, perhaps time pressure as well, if you need to sell the house or the dwelling? What I try to tell my clients, my friends, my people, my family of how you really find peace is to know that you're not cleaning out somebody's belongings. What you're doing is you're sorting, thinning, and repurposing. And if you think of it that way, you don't have that emotional response that I am throwing away or I am giving away somebody's life. So how to find peace is to, you know, change your mindset of what the project is in front of you and don't ever do it alone. Do it, get help with somebody. And if a family member isn't the right person, there's so many people out there that have said to you, what can I do to help? You know, get them involved and ask them to help you because they're there for you. But the real way to find peace is to just thin it out and don't think that you're cleaning it out. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, you tell us there's no, quote, right way to accept and move on from a loss of a loved one. Given that, does your book offer a practical guide for survivors looking to approach that task that most dread, ending up satisfied at the end that the meaningful possessions from your loved one's life have ultimately found the right home 
Is that is your book a guide to that? My God, it is because there's in some cases I do talk about how the right donation. Um, a person that I was working with, they had 20 coats and they wouldn't let go of any of them. And I said, you know, what about the homeless people or somebody else could use the yeah. coats? They ran upstairs and got them because they, I think when people believe it's not going in the trash and somebody else is using it, then they can, um, they can release it and they can make it easier. And you're right. I don't feel in my other book, Living with Loss One Day at a Time, I don't feel there's anything to get over when it comes to a loss. I feel it's like you can't change what happened to you, but you could change your outlook of how you look at it. And that's what I try to do also with the possessions is to repurpose them, make them into something, whether it's a piece of jewelry or, you know, quilts are very popular, whatever it is. You don't have to get rid of it. Just arrange it in a way that works for you. Yeah. Well, in Chapter 3, One Piece at a Time, you present 19, or 10 essential elements for a successful distribution, and we don't have time to go over all 10, but can you please highlight for us a couple of the most important uh, elements? So I think that you need to build a team of people that can help you, the people that are the go-getters. The, so you're just not alone making your decisions. Yeah, that, Another one of my 10... Another one of my 10 is to eliminate all excuses that you have. And I've heard them all. You can't come up with anything new. I've heard them that people just make excuses of why they can do it and if you eliminate those. But the most important for me, the most important piece of of being able to get going of the 10 essentials is creating an elevator speech. And if I could have a second just to explain that, is that – you're, the people that are hardest on you are the people that love you the most, and they're the ones that want you to clean out everything because they think if you don't have the clothes hanging in the closet, you'll be much better. But, in fact, that's not true because the clothes hanging in the closet give you some kind of sense of security. So when I say create an elevator speech or a two, two-line sentence of I'm working on it, I have sorted through some of the drawers. Just give them an answer so you don't get defensive. Yeah, that's good. Well, here's a process I'm certain most of us probably would prefer to avoid, anticipating how to distribute our own possessions when we die. At what age do you recommend we begin planning for this final distribution? And from your experience, do survivors really pay much attention to our wishes once we are gone? I think survivors are a great question. I think survivors do pay attention to what you what your wishes are, but that doesn't mean they ne- necessarily keep or want the item. But I think they distribute them. I've seen enough of these that they distribute them based on your desire. And yeah. what I want to emphasize here is that we could die at any time. Well, so thinking that true. we're all going to make make it to 85, 90 years old, that's not, I mean, if you think about your holiday card list every year or your friends or family, we're losing a couple every year, and if not, many of them are ill. So to think that we don't have to do this till we're older, I think that's, um, uh, it's a myth. So yeah, with that said, true. with that said, I do believe that setting the goal of sharing what you want, you know, um, socializing what you want with your items is really important because here's the thing is, I may not want what my parents think they want to give me. I might want something else and they wouldn't have even known. Like what, what it means to me for, because of some losses that I've been through, what trips my emotions may not be what you might think would be that. 
Well, where is the best place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your book, Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time? I know that well, you I could either go to my... You can go to my website, which is www.rachelkadonis.com, and I'll spell that R-A-C-H-E-L-K-O-D-A-N-A-Z.com. And that's where you can get all my books and learn a little bit about me. And I'll be, um, I'm on a book tour for this fall, so if anybody's listening that, you know, I'm not, you know, where I'm going to be, feel free to join me. And then also, of course, you know, any of the book, the online booksellers, whether it's Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or your yeah. local independent bookstore. Can they get the, uh, for the book tour from your website where you'll be? Is that a Yes. Place? That's good. So under events. Go, yeah, yes. Under events, rachelkodonis.com. That's where they go then. Well, in conclusion, I'd like to conclude this segment with a couple of highly complimentary comments from the Amazon Editorial Reviews, uh, Sarah Wilson, Executive Director of Feminine Power, confirms that Finding Peace provides, in her words, badly needed help for those left with the often daunting task of sorting through possessions and the resulting sometimes difficult emotions. And I like this one from Aura DeMauro, a Senior Financial Advisor and Vice President of Merrill, who points out that I can help with the money part. That's within my skill set, but I can't help with the stuff. And Rachel can, though. Her book helps us wrap our arms around the emotional and physical difficulties that we face when left with the belongings of those we love. And I can testify how difficult it is to account for, retain, and or distribute possessions of a lost loved one because on the last day of 2006, our then 30-year-old daughter, Kristen, was killed piloting a small plane intended to fly a banner over the San Diego Chargers football game. And instead of carefully going through her possessions one by one, her teenage clothes remained hanging up in her former bedroom closet in our home, and most of her adult possessions are uh, from California are stacked in large cardboard boxes in our garage. It looks like we need to get a hold of Rachel Cardenas' new book, Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time. And honestly, I trust that you and your family will have no immediate need to read her book, either now or in the near-term future. But it's a great book to have on hand, especially if your parents are elderly and perhaps nearing the end or facing a major transition. It's also a wonderful gift for a friend who's recently lost a loved one or family member. And furthermore, it's never too early, as Rachel pointed out, to begin contemplating how you want your own possessions distributed once you move on to your spiritual home. And thanks so much, Rachel Cadanis, for previewing for us your latest book, Finding Peace One Piece at a Time. (laughs) Thank you, and I enjoyed spending the, the time with you today. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Join us again next week for additional reasons why middle age can be your best age. So long and best of luck, and stay away from haunted mansions this week, and don't let any black cats cross your path. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 